time for customers who click. In this week's episode, I'll be speaking with Blake M. Pearl, Head of Merchant Enablement at Wonderment, a Shopify app that allows companies to provide updates to their customers about orders. Wonderment allows you to completely control and customize all messages about the order updates, uh, information across multiple communication channels. You know, it prevents customer anxiety about the order, uh, as well as preventing a lot of customer support order update tickets. You know, people uh, have that information about where their order is and what's happening with it. Basically, they offer companies the opportunity to build a customer relationship during the post-purchase phase, an area where a lot of companies fall down uh, quite a lot. Uh, this results in happier customers who are more likely to purchase again. Just before we get Blake on, uh, for access to the other 130 episodes of Customers Who Click, you can head over to the Customers Who Click website, where you'll also get access to over 50 actionable tips to help your business today. Right, without further ado, let's get Blake on the show. Hi, Blake. Thanks for joining me again. Obviously, we've had you on the podcast before, but for those who haven't heard from you, do you want to give us a, a quick intro, a bit of your background yeah. and what you're up to? Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me back on again, Will. Really appreciate it. I'm Blake and Pearl. I head merchant enablement over at Wonderment. Previously, I was at an SMS platform that you might have heard of called Attentive, but I've spent most of my background outside of software, really in D2C e-commerce. At a brand, I really focused a lot on building and scaling retention marketing programs for D2C brands. So lived like kind of that agency life for quite some time before coming over to SaaS. But now I'm just focused really on helping others to create better experiences over own channels and helping them to really understand what are all the ways that we can really think about post-purchase and retention. Yeah, awesome. So yeah, I mean, relate to the, the customer experience then and post-purchase, how, how do you keep customers clicking? It's a, it's a great question. I think I'm going to tackle this one from a lens that I'm pretty sure not a lot of folks have maybe heard of, or maybe not heard of, but I haven't thought of, I, I would guess, is really the transactional experience and how we can optimize some of that stuff post-purchase. That happens from when they click the, the buy button to when that product actually hits the bin. So there's this whole idea of really owning your transactional experience. And this is what we're focused on helping our merchants at Wonderment kind of solve and figure out. And so I think really one of the greatest ways to keep customers clicking post-purchase is to really make a transactional experience that is designed to get them to click and bring over to your website. And so one of the best ways we can do this is actually just owning our order tracking page. I think I read a stat, the average consumer checks their order status about four to five times post-purchase. And typically what's absurd to think is that we've always sent that traffic to a FedEx, a DHL, a USPS, a Royal Mail, whatever that case is. And we're really missing a lot of opportunity to drive that traffic back to our site. And even if they're not going to purchase right then and there, which we totally understand, we want them to at least come back to the site, browse the blog, check what's going on, maybe some helpful content on that tracking page or just information about the order. And so what we really unlock for our merchants is to be able to allow them to have that tracking page live natively on their Shopify site and take that traffic back. And, and really what we see there is folks come back and actually buy again sometimes. Maybe they have customer service questions. Maybe you're just getting them more engaged in another part of your tech stack, like getting them to sign up for SMS to get those transactional SMS updates. So a lot of opportunity there, I think, to really think about how do we get customers to click a lot more post-purchase. And I think the last thing I'll say on that too is that we actually have a lot of interesting data that shows too on the transactional emails that they're about 10 times more effective at driving a visitor back to site post-purchase than your conventional post-purchase emails are. And we, I'm happy to talk more about kind of what some of those things are, but it's really fascinating to see is how highly engaged these emails are and the opportunity to take that email and then really link it to a tracking page that you own and really unlock a lot of growth, I think, there for the post-purchase experience. Yeah, but it, it makes sense. I mean, it's, it's pretty much the one 
set of communications that the customer actually wants to receive from a brand, right? Um, especially early days, right? You know, I know later on when a, if a customer really comes to like a brand, they might really want to get a certain type of newsletter from them or, or whatever. But that, those post-purchase communications are, this is what I've spent my money on. This is what I'm interested in right now. When's it going to arrive? Like, where is it? What's the status? But I suppose there's loads of opportunity to add value to the customer, right? One thing that I've talked about a bit before is dead-end experiences, where the customer completes an action or hopefully completes an action, but they are given nothing to do after that. Um, so it could be like filling in a form, you know, contact form or whatever, and it just says, cool, we've sent you a message. That's it. But it's a similar thing with this, right? Normally, you click through to a tracking page, you might get some information, but that's it. There's nothing else for you to do there. So what are the opportunities there for brands? How can you, I guess, con continue to engage the customer on that page without coming across like salesy, I suppose, right? right? Without trying to just push more products on them. Absolutely. That's a great point too. I think the whole idea of this data and experience, something to really keep in mind is like you always want forward motion of some sort. And not to say that they're going to stay on your site all day, but you really want them to feel like there's value when they're clicking on that that link to come track their order. And so we see a lot of folks, obviously, yeah, like, you know, the displaying products is a really easy win. But some of the things that are really important too on this tracking page is FAQs, for example. Eliminate buyer's remorse. Like this is one of the opportunities. I think like you can really get them excited about their purchase. We see a lot of folks displaying not only so a lot of the helpful information, but even things like reviews, some of the UGC from other satisfied customers. You know, if they have like a like a zero party data capture form, like they're using like a tool like a fairing, for example, to capture some of that data on the survey. Put a survey there and ask them how their shopping experience was. Maybe ask them some questions that you can learn and, and use that data intelligently. So there's some things there. But then also on these tracking pages, it's a really great opportunity to brand it and add a lot of stuff that just makes it feel like they're getting excited. That item is, you know, on its way when they're checking this tracking page, most likely. And give them some of that dopamine that, you know, that they're getting that that kind of that reward for clicking. And then some of those things that so whether it's you're just leading with value in the content, or you're maybe displaying some products that could make sense in a more of a soft sell kind of motion. Just getting them to think about some of that stuff is really great. And then even too, like, I mean, like once they're on that tracking page, I mean, they might go to another part of the website too. So the tracking page isn't maybe the end all be all. It's sort of like that segue maybe to another part of the website that they might want to check out. Yeah, I think all, all really valid points. The data capture is not one I'd actually thought of before, but there's definitely, yeah, you can gather some feedback or... Or just yeah, gather that data that you can actually action later. Absolutely, you know, it might be you know, what are you using this for? Or yeah, or, you know, if it's a consumable product, it might be like, how often do you anticipate using this product? And then you can say, cool. Well, why don't you? We can either send you a, a reorder email a bit later, or you can set up a subscription. Absolutely, and that those are those are great ways to be able to think about that experience. And then also, what's really interesting too is like we're working. With some technology partners right now, one of them being Clyde, and they sell post-purchase warranties for products for for durable goods, usually higher-end retail items, and being able to even display like that product warranty makes sure educating them about that purchase. Like, there's a lot of things that you can even think about more in the educational that lead to a sale longer term as well. Yeah, yeah, those added things that people want just want to know of that that long-term benefit. So, actually, with a client, we we kind of built something. I don't want to say it's similar to Wonderment because it was super basic. It was just the landing page. But yeah, we just it was a post-purchase thing. It was just, here's a bunch of information for you. So this was custom PCs. So people spending, you know, two, three thousand pounds maybe 
on a, on a computer. So we found out through through research that people didn't really know what they were doing with these products. Right, their their actual knowledge for a custom product that they were spending a lot of money on was relatively low. So we just added in some uh, some guides on like how to set up the PC, how to maintain it, how to keep it clean, like some software that they might find useful, that sort of thing, and that just went really down really really well. And this was a um, this was something they could access once they'd received their PC, but it kind of I guess that was like the MVP test. Which now tells us, right? Let's let's try this on a post purchase on the order tracking page. You know, it could be what to do. So, what one idea we actually toyed with was giving allowing people to book in a call with a specialist to set up their PC. So that could be on that order order tracking page. Right? Have you booked your uh, your appointment yet? Because even though it doesn't, that would only be a cost to the company. It's just building that experience for the customer. It's making them happy. It's kind of ensuring that in three, four years' time, they do come back to you, but they're also telling other people. Absolutely. I love that. That's That, to me, is a great creative use case of taking that real estate. And this is like your real estate as a brand to be able to do some of those things. If you sell something that needs some education, yeah, like get a consultation on there. Do something that engages them, but then also when they have a good experience. And so, yeah, if you need to kind of have that process, I, I think that that's a great use case. We see a lot of folks on the educational front, really just making sure that they feel onboarded by the time that product arrives. And if it, you know, obviously, like, you know, they're, they're going to learn as they get the product there. But the, the most that we can do to be able to ensure that when that product hits the doorstep, that they have an idea of how to get going, what's the next logical step, great, great use cases there for sure. Yeah, yeah. speaking of that education piece, I, I spoke to Air Up on, on the podcast a few months back. And yeah, they, they realized that people, so it's this I need to try it. So that sounds quite interesting. It's basically like a, a scent-based flavoring system for drinks. So you, you just have water, but instead of putting something in the water to flavor it, you're smelling the flavor. And what they realized was you have to get it right to, to mm. realize the flavor. If you don't, I don't know, if you don't set up the actual flavor system properly, you don't smell it. And if that's your first experience, your first experience is going to be going to be, oh, that's a bit rubbish. And then you might get told, oh, you haven't done this properly. You need to screw it in this way or something. But then your second experience might be this is a good flavor, but that seems like a lot of hassle. Whereas if you educate people in advance and set that expectation and and kind of teach them exactly how to set it up then that first experience is cool that was that, that was easy and and this is a really good product i love that i think that that's a really interesting you know use case as well is that like you you look at you want to craft that first experience and make sure as many people see that as possible and understanding how to use the product out of the gate and so one of the things that we've seen as well is that you know i mean just from my time being in a space as well like to conventional post-purchase communication, like if we're taking transactional out of the equation, you know, some of those things that you might be sending through Clavia or whatever, like, you know, SMS you're using and those, you know, see okay engagement rates. A lot of times, you know, like email, we might see 20 to 40% open rates. And so a lot of what we want our customers to see, maybe two out of 10 or four out of 10 customers are seeing a lot of those things. So we craft these amazing guides, we craft these amazing stories of onboarding, but we're not getting that message out to as many customers as possible. And so what we're seeing a lot of merchants that we work with do is actually place all that stuff you're talking about 
and those transactional emails, those texts, and then on that tracking page. So it's like, I think what you're saying, like comparing that with where they are the most and where they want to be the most, which is knowing where their stuff is at tracking that, like that's to me, like one of the ultimate growth hacks right now for customer experience is really to, you know, be where they are, but then also like provide a lot of value with stuff that you're talking about there. That's, That's great, great use case. You could almost do it as a like a, a step by step thing, right? Let's say, let's say your product's going to take three days to arrive from from ordering or four. You might could you set it up in a way so right day one you send out the email saying right shipping update, check in on your order. They click through to the link and it's cool. Day one, here is a really important information we need we need you to know about this product to make sure that you experience it properly. Day two, there's an update on your order. And this update might be it's gone from fulfillment to the courier. It's right. It's now in the courier's hands, just letting you know. By the way, here's another really important piece of information we want you to see. And then day three, same thing, right? You give them an order update and they go, cool, order update. I want to read that email. I want to check. And then the first thing they see is here's something really important we need you to know about your product. And so you do it as like a, a step-by-step process. I'm not technical enough to know how you do this, but I imagine it's not that <laughs> difficult to say, well, this person has has engaged with the page. They've read day one, so let's show them day two. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's sequential order and making it, you know, an engaging experience, but then also every time they engage, there's a different experience. Like we we actually set this stuff up a lot for our merchants. So tailoring those experiences, whether it is, you know, that sequential day by day, or even if it's um, you know, maybe, maybe you actually wanted to take more of like, I want to show something different for someone who's come back and made their fifth order with us. And, you know, I want them to have a totally different onboarding experience or not onboarding, but really like sort of that loyalty experience versus someone who is making that first purchase. And like, we really want to prioritize that. So some of that logic there too. And, you know, some, some of the best email marketers too, I think as well are setting up, you know, these really, really sophisticated flows that kind of mirrored that and then that pairing it with that kind of, you know, sort of intelligent tracking page experience that has some of that in place. So I think what's, what's really interesting is we talk about a lot of this and we think, you know, transactional communication has to be so vanilla in a lot of ways. And it you know, can only be that conventional Shopify setup, for example. But some of this stuff we're talking about right here is what's possible today. And I think this is like just a really great opportunity for customer experience right now is like invest in some of this stuff, test it out and see how we can optimize where customers are really clicking the most, which is, you know, a lot of times on these on these messages. Yeah, I suppose it's a quite a good way of, of of getting around like privacy laws. Mm-hmm. Get, getting around makes it sound <laughs> sneaky and bad. But no, what I mean is you, you can't put some of this information in the transactional emails because they're deemed as marketing and right. blah blah blah. You're not allowed to do it. So you send the the kind of vanilla transactional email with there's been an update on your order, click through to find out more. And that's where you put the the information, right? Because that's that is allowed. <laughs> you know, you you own that page. Totally. And I think, you know, the rule of thumb that we always say, you know, so it sort of is a little bit of a undefined area, but I I think with transactional communication, especially email, where we can actually, you know, include some more branding on that. It's I would say, you know, one tasteful marketing moment at, at, at most. And it, obviously there's different laws here that, that kind of come into factor, you know, depending on where you are and in, in, in the world. But you know, I think looking at those transactional emails, even if it is just all pertinent information to their you know, you can still brand these things as well and take them into a platform like Clavio. So we we integrate directly with Clavio with Wonderman and we use all our data to fuel those Clavio emails, but 
Then you can take that into your ESP, brand it. You can set up all of your A-B tests, optimize it, measure the data. Like you have all that insight. But then, yeah, to your point too, it's like once you dial in that email experience, like really supercharge it with that tracking page and then just really make sure that that tracking page is like however you want that customer's you know journey to be and, and really own it and, and then kind of take advantage of some of those awesome stats that you're going to be able to see and really kind of measure and optimize I think over time as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, one thing I've never really understood is why so many companies, their transactional emails literally look like receipts. Oh, absolutely. Like just not, not in the fact that it's just like a list of information. It's just there's no branding. It's all black and white. And it, sometimes sometimes you even get like fonts that look like like <laughs> kind of printed fonts or like type, what's it called? Typewriter sort of font. Yeah, it, it's it's weird. And there's there's so much opportunity there. And I know it it does depend on the business, right? Because there's always sure. someone in the business who's going to say, you're not allowed to do that. Right. You know, someone on the legal side or whatever who says, no, we are, we're going to, we're going to be good, uh, a good company here. We're going to abide by the law as like the, on the strictest level that we can possibly think of. So even though I remember when I was in, in gambling, actually, we were going through GDPR and we got told we had to even take off the little Facebook and Instagram logos from the bottom of emails because that was considered marketing. Wow. And, to be fair, I've had a conversation on here where the guy was saying you just don't want those. You don't want those on your email anyway. They they can actually be quite spammy links um, mm-hmm. as far as deliverability goes. But it was just this like we're not like, we're not even allowed to have the logo which links to our social profiles because that's considered marketing, which I thought was a bit extreme. That's sorry. I, no, I was going to add it. I think it definitely speaks volumes to, you know, the different flavors of, you know, how you really approach transactional. And see, we, we work with a lot of merchants too that will still use Shopify emails. But, you know, what I think what's really interesting is even if it's a vanilla template in some ways, you know, add useful information there, you know, even if it's all transactionally related, update some of the copy, if you can make it feel more on brand, you know, like we work with a brand called Olive in June. And they, they use all of you on like all of their, their emails and SMSs. And it's just like a fun way to be like, Hey, like we're we're showing that you know even though these might be a little bit stiff and rigid by nature, they're still feeling like there's the, the brand behind that email, and and I think these just go a little bit you know they're little breadcrumbs I think that you leave over time with the customer of just like you know we 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 treat these emails you know if you're gonna give us your time to click on these emails like you know we're gonna give you valuable information and also just make it feel like it stood out in your inbox. And I think that's just a theme we're seeing more and more as the inbox is getting harder and harder to stand out in. And so you got to do something to break up that noise, whether you can brand them and you've got that that, that, uh, that approval from, from the higher powers or you don't, you know, just do what you can with these emails to make sure that you're really maximizing some of that, that ability. Yeah. I mean, I think simply being on brand isn't, isn't going to be breaching any laws. Sure. Right? It's the, it's the message itself, which, which can be the problem. If your message is clearly a marketing message, that's where it's potentially a problem. But if it's just written in your brand tone of voice, that's, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And it's, and people notice it, mm-hmm. right? Especially in transactional emails, because the vast majority of people don't do it. Right. And that's, that's the opportunity right now, I think, is, you know, this is stuff that we're always looking in the D2C space, you know, where can we stand out from the competition? And this is still one of those areas, you know, we might be talking in two, three years that, 
everyone's doing this now and you know transactional optimization is just commonplace which i would love to see selfishly but i also think it's just an opportunity for you right now to really know that this is like one of the areas that is been least optimized by a lot of brands. And one resource I'll call out to is, you know, you're thinking about this, folks are thinking about this. We actually compiled an entire swipe file of just every brand that we think is doing great transactional email in some of those examples. So if you go to our website, wondermint.com, we have an entire swipe file just on that and showing what great looks like at all stages of transactional, whether it's just that out of the box Shopify or someone who's just really gone, you know, full send with some of those, you know, kind of branding things as well. Yeah, awesome. I'd love to check that out. Always a fan of a swipe file of good good emails. You mentioned something earlier, which I actually wanted to to touch on more. First-time customers versus returning customers. How would you differ the experience? How how should that experience differ, if at all? Yeah, what, what sort of things would you recommend? That's a great question. I love debating these things. I, I was you know talking with some folks recently in the partnership space that you know all have solutions that sort of optimize for some of this, but you know, do the different takes on this. And I think what I'll say, we just have a lot of data and a lot of great information now. We have a lot of tools that make this stuff really easy to optimize and create unique experiences. And I do think that it's important to treat someone who's made that first purchase for someone who's made that 10th purchase completely different. I think in this space, often what we hear is that it's like, you know, someone who makes a first purchase, treat them differently. And then someone who makes a second plus that's just a catch all for everything else. And so like, I, I think there's just a lot of room for us to be able to think about, like I was talking with someone who, who runs an agency recently and he was saying, when someone makes their 10th purchase, we have like this totally unique flow that's set up, you know, and it just, it's just like totally unexpected, but it's just a flow that really treats, you know, like that recognition totally differently versus someone who's making the second purchase. Like maybe sometimes they're not even a loyalist at that point too. I think this is another misconception is that when someone makes two plus purchases that they're just immediately loyal to your brand, which yeah. could be far from the case as well. You know, I, I, as a customer, you know, will shop. And I, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to say this. I will shop on Amazon and D2C with the same brand. If I, depending on how often I want to be receiving, you know, if, if I need something like two days or versus I can wait, you know, two weeks to get that with D2C sometimes. So I think, you know, treating some of these experiences a little bit differently and knowing that a loyal customer is very different and by definition is really important to think about. But I think more strategic, more tactical stuff as well is also just sorry, having... Can I just... Yeah. Sorry, but, but just before you move on, I just want to touch on that bit about first first and second time. To your point, when people approach it, they generally approach this as literally just what you've said, right? It's first purchase, new customer versus second purchase, retained customer, essentially. Right. But what you don't know is what it doesn't take into account is what they've purchased. So, mm. you know, I, the example that came to my head for some reason was protein powder, right? I might make a first order and say, I hated this flavor, right? Really didn't like it. But for my second purchase, I'm willing to try a different flavor. That doesn't make me a loyal, that doesn't make me a really like a second time purchase customer. It's almost like I'm giving you a first chance again. Right. With a different flavor to see if I like it and then I might keep buying. But yeah, you're right. A lot of brands treat that as cool, second time purchase. This guy's this guy's a customer. We've we've got him. That's fascinating to think. And I it's uh, you know, a lot of times it can get a little intimidating to look at some of the automation setup for someone who might not have an email marketer resource or, you know, some 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 kind of a CRM marketer to help set these things up. But you know, Thankfully, with tools like, you know, Clavio, it's a lot easier to set up some of these experiences. I, when you were saying that too, I thought of this, I, one of the first 
companies that I consulted for out of college was a painting company. They sold paint direct to consumer and they sold swatches, which are just like a sample of a paint. And so someone might purchase two, three, four swatches. And I remember auditing the email account and it was had the same setup if they purchased twice or more, regardless of what product they ended up receiving some of these kind of more loyalty focused emails. And so someone who's only made two swatch purchases hasn't even purchased a bucket of paint to actually paint their house, whatever they're doing, you know, I mean, they're getting an experience that probably isn't speaking to where they're at in their buyer cycle right now too, um, which is just a totally missed opportunity. And I can only imagine getting those emails, hey, like, you know, thanks for being a brand loyalist when they haven't even really, you know, tried the product or, you know, gotten too deep into that that experience. So a lot of missed opportunity there, I think for sure. But I mean, then again, it's like, if you even just have a baseline set up and you map this out and kind of can create a few of these experiences and test it out. You know, even if you're limited on resources, I think there's a lot that can still be done to, to treat first time versus, you know, X amount of time purchaser, totally different. Yeah. And even with things like, like swatches and samples, you just, you treat it completely different anyway, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, know, you might even say if someone's come, come back and bought swatches a second time, You'd say to them, "Oh, we well, actually bought this second time. Do you, would you like to speak to someone? Do you need? Do you sure. need help? Do you want to have a consultation? Because there's there's obviously intent from that person because they've come back and, and ordered some more, but they're obviously having difficulty finding that right color. So, sure. what's the next step to help them? I remember a brand I bought from a little while ago, who either I didn't opt into marketing or they don't do many emails. It's just a tea brand." Right. And I got acquired through them. Actually, I got told the brand. So I went and checked it out. They had a, like a sample collection box. Right. So you got, I don't know, I think like two of each of their teas to try. Mm. And I could tell it was an acquisition offer because their normal free shipping threshold was like 25 quid, I think 25 pounds, maybe 30. But this thing cost, I think 10 and it came with free shipping. So as soon as I noticed that, I was like, oh, okay, these guys are using this as an acquisition play. But then, yeah, nothing's really happened. And and like I said, I I don't know if I've just like opted out or something and and moved on and I just can't remember it. But yeah, I I don't really remember seeing a, oh, which of these did you like? You know, do you want to give some feedback? I don't think there was anything in the box that kind of pushed me to that next step. That's a, that's a strategy I've seen come up more and more, I think, and, and, and sort of this, you know, creative acquisition sort of climate that we're in right now. And I think the ones that are really getting it right have what you're saying, that experience that is like, we have to have all this stuff dialed in where we check in with the customer, we figure out, we get feedback, we make sure that they feel engaged. And like, that's a big opportunity because I wouldn't even say that maybe that's like a like a, you know, quote unquote, first, like real purchase right there, like they're, you're giving them you know, that, that trial offer, and you need to kind of be able to close that sale and have some of that good CRM automation in place. But then even like, if you have the resources, like I've, I've seen one brand do this, where they actually have them get on chat with customer service, or, you know, get on the phone, and they kind of close that sale there. And it's sort of merging sort of the sort of like in-store kind of experience that you would maybe have if you went in to try a sample at like a a health food store, for example, and get some of that feedback, you know, make that recommendation and then get them on their way. And then also merging some of that automation that we can do creatively as well. Yeah, no, I think getting feedback is really, really important. I actually, I was looking at starting a business which was aimed at getting feedback for restaurants. So you know, people obviously do go to like TripAdvisor and websites like that and, and we'll review restaurants. But we thought, well, 
why not why not push this a bit more and the idea was that at the end of a meal you'd get a card which would just say on, on one side if you'd like to meal text yes to this number or text the the company name if you don't like it text no mm-hmm. if they texted yes they'd get a text back saying great glad you liked it could you please leave us a review and it'd click through to google review or whatever and if you said no it would send you to a feedback form and say could you please let us know what went wrong and we'll do our best to to fix this whatever and you could offer an incentive or whatever never ended up happening covid hit i mean it, it was a tough sell into restaurants anyway because the you know margins are tight it's it's difficult to get money out of them but yeah then covid hit but i actually got this i ordered these headphones a few days ago received them and in the pack there was this little card which says how do we sound and then it opens up and it's got exactly that on the inside well not exactly that but it's got a you sound great section and this section says cool like tell your friends and family leave us a review uh connect with us on social media whatever and if it says not as good as i hoped then it gives you all the contact options for the business and i just thought it was a really like i wanted to open it because it looked it looked interesting right sure. and now that i've seen that if i was an unhappy customer and i saw this i'd i'd be getting in touch with them right i would i wouldn't go and moan somewhere i'd be thinking okay they're obviously open to support. I'll get in touch. You can kind of tell they're a big, must be a big company because they've got like five different phone numbers for different countries. But I mean, I, I, these are fantastic. I went off and told friends about them immediately anyway. But it's, it's just that little, little thing which just gives people that extra nudge, an extra, just good little experience straight after the, the purchase that, yeah, might make them, you know, it might turn a, a four star review into a five star. Absolutely. Because, you know, I, I'm sure we've all seen, reviews that are four stars which say like incredible product i love it it's the best and that's it and you're like well why isn't it a five star this is the sort of thing that could just nudge that up to a five star totally and i think that that's the the little things that you know it probably took them you know a little time to design that that insert but then you know from there i mean that that's an insert that goes to every single product that's purchased and you're giving them that that option and one of the things that I think a lot of merchants, you know, uh, not merchants, customers will you know, feel frustration around is getting in touch with a brand if you need support and how difficult it can be. Sometimes you go to a website and like the support is buried. There's always walls. There's no clear way to get in touch with the brand. Putting it on the card right there, you know, not everyone might read that, but those who do really appreciate that you went that extra mile to give them a clear resource to be able to see where to get in touch. Another great use case that's similar to that is we see a lot of merchants who, when they will use a shipment delivered email that's powered by Wondermit inside of like Klaviyo, for example, and they'll actually use Klaviyo buttons to say, hey, did it arrive or did it not arrive or something to that effect. And so when they're triggering that email, you know, hopefully the package has arrived, you know, hopefully the data is 100% up to speed, but say it didn't arrive, maybe the package was stolen, something happened. When they click no, being able to intelligently route that to, hey, like, let's get you in touch with customer service. Like, here, here's an FAQ page for what, what's next, you know, something. But then also using that data once they click to then feel some sort of experience that goes to the customer service team as well to be able to know, hey, like, this is an at-risk order. Like, we need to you know, reach out here. There's some clever automation things, but then also really making it helpful, I, I think, for the customer. It's just these, these are the little things, I think, like the inserts and some of these buttons that can really make a big difference. I, I really like that idea. Yeah. Did, did it turn up getting yes or no? Because then this gives you feedback that you can use to optimize the business in several ways. Right. If you get loads of customers saying no, 
then yeah, you might think, oh, we've got a we've got a problem with our courier. Like there's sure. a, there's a courier here. I don't know if you guys have. I don't know if I should say the name. Well, it's, it's Hermes. <laughs> I don't know if you have Hermes over there, but they heard, heard of them. Yeah, I think they got a pretty bad reputation for losing packages. Yeah, and orders just not turning up. They've actually rebranded, sure. um, and they're still getting stick for it. But and it, yeah, I think they had a BBC panorama as well about it. Um, oh no, they, they had problems. But yeah, it's, it's that it's that sort of data which then tells you, okay, we, we've got a problem here. People, you know, orders aren't showing up. But then you might also find that you get certain customers who consistently mm-hmm. say, no, this didn't turn up. And that might make, make you think, okay, maybe there's there's something not quite right here. Like this, this person doesn't receive their package every time they order. So what do we do? I remember speaking to someone. Oh yeah, I can't remember who it was now. They ended up cutting off a customer. And literally said, and just they just cancelled their orders every time they got placed. The the brand would just cancel the order and say, no, you 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 keep causing problems. Wow. Um, it, there, you know there was there was always a problem with the order. Something was broken, or <laughs> something wasn't quite right, or or an item was missing, and it was like a complaint with every single order. So eventually, this brand said, no, we've refunded you. We've dealt with the situation. That's it. We're not, you know, we're, we're not going to accept orders from you anymore. That's wild. I, I've I've heard stories of this that you know the nightmare customers for for brands and you know and it's always the customer's always right. I think is the right approach, but then there's always that one bad apple that can kind of you know give brands some headaches. I think. But what's interesting too, you know, speaking of you know this Hermes example and some of you know the carrier issues that we're seeing, like I mean, this has been a theme that we've heard across a lot of merchants as well you know just throughout this pandemic post pandemic you know if we can call it that sort of era that we're seeing here is that optimization around like delivery speeds seeing which carriers are actually fulfilling their their service level agreements is this some of the stuff that we're helping our merchants to figure out is like hey it seems like you know like xyz carrier is taking you know two days too long like you know like let's look into this and giving them those intelligent kind of reports is really important for us to be able to help the operations and logistics out of the, the via the business. But then also, like if those things happen, you know, where like we're seeing an influx and it takes, you know, if it's more than three days and the package hasn't been updated by a carrier, like let's get an automation in place, whether that's sending an email automatically to a customer saying this has been delayed and we're looking into it, or just even notifying automatically your customer service team, like, hey, like. This package is stuck in transit, hasn't been updated. Like, let's go look into this. Let's see, is it the carrier's fault? Was it not scanned? Like, what's going on? These are some of the next level things that I get really excited about that we're solving for, but that also can help remove some of those frustrations that a customer might have around like, I just don't know where my stuff is at and and really helping the business to optimize how they can remove as much friction from that as possible. Yeah, I think the the proactive communication is really, really important. Going back to the... The, the custom PC company, they uh, their lead times can be up to two weeks, or gem- mm-hmm. gem- I think generally about two weeks. They normally try and hit it in one, but they have a, a sequence of emails that go out. It's it's all triggered. So once the PC is built, the engineer you know updates the status. That triggers an email to say, "Cool, you, your order has moved to the next stage." And there's about five stages. But what I what we realized was if if something gets stuck. For some reason, let's say they suddenly out of a certain component and they're waiting for an order, they didn't have anything in place to deal with that, like automatic. And and the example, the other example that comes up is like sofas. So here mm-hmm. a sofa, when you order a sofa, it's always eight to ten weeks, ten to twelve weeks, something like that. 
and you get no update until suddenly they're saying, cool, this is the day we're going to deliver it. And, and that might be three days away. And, and you've suddenly got to make arrangements for that. So I think, you know, if there's delays, definitely, pro, you know, being proactive about it, but also in the event that it's something's custom or whatever, just a long lead time, just make sure that an email drops at some point in that flow to say, we're still on your order. Don't worry. You know, we're, work, we're working on it. Absolutely. I think these are the things that, you know, there's definitely some buyer's remorse that can happen when you don't hear from someone from a long time. You know, I similarly, I just, I bought a sofa recently and moved house and ended up buying new furniture. And so I didn't hear from this company for almost three months, I want to say. Um, oh, and wow. then I got, I got an email that had been then again delayed. So I haven't even gotten my new sofa. I've been here three months and haven't gotten it and it took three months for them to tell me that it was delayed. And so, you know, obviously these things can happen. You know, there's use cases that, you know, might have been outside of their control, but it's having some of these things in place, I think are just really table stakes to be able to communicate and lead with empathy. I think, you know, we're more likely to understand if there's a delay, if it's communicated appropriately, rather than, in my case, getting that email, you know, after three months of waiting, you know, when there probably could have been something that happened somewhere in between that, that stage as well. well it, it, I mean, it helps a bit probably, but it's like the damage is already done when the customer is sure. thinking, like, where's my package? This is this is ridiculous. And then if you if you get an email saying oh, it was delayed, that's going to annoy you even more, actually. But even an email which was like, oh, your order's still on track. It's going to be delivered on this day. You're st- you've already reached that point where your you're feeling towards that company is negative. Exactly. And we don't want that. No, we we you know we want to minimize as much possible, and you know this is a use case that obviously not every brand is going to be able to to do. But we work with a brand called Ridge Wallet, and so they were experiencing some delays for a while. And what they ended up doing was, if a package had been delayed for more than three days, they automatically just sent a customer a ten percent discount for the next order. And while there's a million other strategies you can do to also you know do that, you don't have to give a discount. What was really interesting when they gave this discount, they actually saw customers coming back and buying like another item that maybe they had their eye on they didn't purchase before and so that's a great way to think about like at least minimizing some of the hurt that a customer might be feeling around that whether you give a discount or whether you just apologize and try to make it right there's just a lot of little things that i think can be done but this is a really interesting use case nonetheless to see that like you know delays are opportunities at the end of the day you'd you'd a b test it wouldn't you and i'm i'm sure they get more sales from the version that with the, with the discount so sure you know i mean how many I don't know what other products they have, but how many wallets do you buy? Yeah, I mean it's, it's a great a great call out. I, they they have other accessories too that you can add, but I think it's a great great example of you know I mean maybe something to A/B test, and even if you do sell you know only one or two hero products, to be able to test that out and see even if it's not a discount, just testing different language around how customers resonate or don't resonate with some of that messaging. I don't know, it, it gets my brain going of all the opportunities I think that are there to really to learn from your customers in, in moments like that too. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're, we've only got a few minutes left. Do you want to give us some quick kind of top tips or top recommendations for the post-purchase page? And also maybe any mistakes, anything you've seen people got, do wrong or get wrong? Sure. I'd say I was talking about tracking pages specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Sure. So I think the, the the things that I would recommend, you know, like the anatomy of a great tracking page is a few things. Obviously, being able to track your order, have that block in place and have that at the top of the page. Big, big opportunity. Brand it. Make sure your logo's on there. Make sure it's on your site. 
some quick things right there, but just immediately get familiarity, put FAQs on there, you know, like if it's just generally around, you know, things that, you know, a customer might be concerned about. Um, and then also some other things that you can add on more of like a, a, a walking and running sort of kind of framework of this now would be if you have intelligent upsells, if you're using like a, a tool like Rebuy, for example, being able to personalize that and, and use AI to kind of drive some of that really great. Um, also, if you have like educational content, a blog, you want to promote your referrals program, your subscription offering, if you're a CPG brand, for example, some of those things there can be really great to add to the page. And then additionally, like we see a lot of folks focusing on just leading again with that education and value. So I think that'd be my biggest takeaway is like, have some things that could be marketing moments, but overall make this page as useful as possible. So those are some things that I think are like the great of it. And then I just think some of the mistakes as well, again, like just not owning this page, you know, even if you just have a tracking page that has a tracking block on there and that is it, but it's on your website, you're already leaps and bounds better and not creating that dead end experience that we were talking about earlier, you know, by just getting them back to your site at the very, very minimum. Yeah. Have you seen anything, uh, any examples of anything that's gone wrong where like it was, you know, potentially a good idea or, you know, it was it, an opportunity to enhance the experience, but it just went wrong. I think what's interesting, yeah, a lot of folks, you know, will test and, you know, obviously failures can bring about great, great lessons too. You know, for some brands, I think they test out, you know, like the selling component on these tracking pages and they find that no one's actually clicking on any of those upsells. But, you know, it could be the, the inverse too, where like they just have too much educational content on there and there's no you know clear breakup in that hierarchy and and having something like an upsell can actually work pretty well so i think those are some things that we've seen you know it depends on the brand and the brand strategy like what you were saying too if like you sell a product that only gets purchased once like if you sell yeah like a wallet and maybe maybe you don't offer other accessories like maybe you shouldn't be prioritizing upsells maybe you should actually be prioritizing some things that just you know help to get them more embedded in your brand and maybe thinking about how they're going to refer the brand to, you know, the next five people that they know and how that could kind of, you know, unfold. So I think there's some things there. It's more just, I think, around like having the right intent of like, this is what my brand does. This is my path to either logical upsells or logical, whatever next step is. But I think having that sort of goal in place and then backing in and know what your tracking page experience looks like can be a really, really big uh, insight in learning, I think. Yeah. And and keep keep testing it. I suppose keep you know it, it don't don't just set it up and leave it. You know if you if you're going to go to the effort of, of putting one of these pages in, in the first place, keep testing it. Like you said, different audiences, you've got different opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think you know it's, it's so cliche, but the old adage is just test, 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 and 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 make sure you're measuring it and checking it out over time. And then also, yeah, like creating multiple tracking pages and and testing out with different audiences and seeing what works can really be a needle mover, I think, for that overall experience. Yeah, cool. Just to finish off, have you got a brand in mind that you think does the experience amazingly? There's a few that come to mind. Yeah, that's a tough one. There's a few that come to mind. I'll cheat and I'll say two and then I'll, I'll elaborate more on, on one of the two. But Bora and Feastables are two of my favorite brands right now. They're in the CPG space. They're Wonderman customers, but I didn't pick them just because they're Wonderman customers. I think they're really they're really doing great stuff. And I'll, I'll hone in on Ouroboros a little bit. I think they're really an interesting brand. So they sell sparkling water, which, you know, like as, as you could imagine, you know, like how many times are you going to purchase sparkling water over, you know, a D to C channel when you might be able to go to a local store and pick it up? And I think what's really interesting about what they've done is 
They've just injected so much of the brand into all of their communications. If you go out to our, our website, check out the swipe files, or even just go to their, their site too, you'll see how great this experience is. And then they also use D2C as like a test market channel for their sort of in-store offerings. So they have all these limited time offer products and every every so often they'll swap them out and they'll use D2C as a way to test like, hey, is this a product that's really worth putting in retail stores, for example, and having that experience sort of create like a insider's channel on D2C where they can have exclusive product that they can only get on D2C and, and having that experience really be just so on brand and so fun for the customer to engage with. I think they're just a really, really great brand doing exciting stuff right now and in sort of that CPG space. So at Ourobora, I highly recommend that you check them out. They have been a really fun brand for me to watch and, and engage with as well. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It reminds me of Ryan Rouse was, was telling us about kind of testing using D2C as that testing channel, like sure. build up a, a kind, of, kind of like loyal audience who you can you can send these offers to and use that to then funnel into the the retail, the retail. Totally. And they've, they've created, you know, sort of like these characters for each of the different flavors that they have. And so even those characters will come up in themes on the emails and some of the notifications. And you just get the sense that like, there's a lot of fun that they're trying to create out of something that historically like, you know, buying sparkling water online, like, you know, how fun can that experience be? Like, it's really an interesting kind of use case and how like you can take a product and just create a really, really fun narrative and, and make it engaging on channels like email and, you know, other things like that too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, this has been great stuff. Yeah. This is it's something I've played around with with before with a couple of clients. So it was really interesting to hear from someone who's, who's at, at one of the companies. If anyone wants to reach out and find out more, what's the best way of doing that? Sure. Wonderment.com, W-O-N-D-E-R-M-E-N-T.com. I think I spelled that right. Uh, Wonderment.com. There's a lot of resources there that I mentioned, the swipe file, all that good stuff. So even if you just want to learn more about transactional and not get in touch with us, highly recommend that you just check out some of that stuff there. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Blake. Thanks, Will. As you've just heard from Blake, there are some really interesting stats to take advantage of. For example, if, if your post-purchase emails only get a 20 to 40% open rate, then maybe you can take that information and put it on the order tracking page. Um, and you, you know, in that, in that way, you'll, uh, you reach more customers with that information. Arguably, post-purchase communication is more important than pre-purchase communication because these are the people who have actually parted money to purchase your product and therefore they deserve to be kept abreast of where their product is, if there's a delay, uh, and if relevant, how to, how to even properly use that product once it's received. Hopefully you've picked up some tips on what to do and what not to do from this podcast. And if you're a Shopify store who wants to optimize their post-purchase customer journey even further, then Wonderment might be for you. If you'd like to learn more about Blake, you can find him on Twitter or LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback or guest requests, please send them over to will at customersuclick.com or tweet me at Will Lawrenson. Next up, I've got Harvey Hodd on the show, CEO and co-founder of Blueprint. We'll be talking about how to get customers buying again. Uh, getting them subscribed and staying subscribed. But until then, keep those customers clicking.